I want to thank you for being here this morning and, and being a part of Outward Church um, while we're in this series called Divine Paradox. And we're essentially talking about life in the kingdom of God. And if you don't know what the kingdom of God is, you should, because that's what Jesus was teaching about um, uh, throughout the Gospels. And some even say that the Gospel includes really the life of Jesus Christ and, and who He is and what He's done um, uh, culminating in uh, in and through the cross and his resurrection, and then finally in and through how he's going to restore all things under his rule and his reign in its fullness at the end of time. And so as uh, Christians, our great hope is this, is that God would come and that he would rule and that he would reign in our lives and in our hearts right here and right now. We're not waiting for another time we are looking for God to rule and to reign right here and right now. What it means to be a Christian is, is, is this, a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just a, a person who's a Christian in name only. We're talking about somebody who's a disciple there, a learner of Jesus Christ, is somebody who is looking for, who is longing for, and who is living for the kingdom of God. And they know that they have that, through uh, the gospel, through the cross of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection that he has brought us into his kingdom and that we are to be his people on this earth, spreading his fame, spreading his rule and his reign uh, and what it looks like to be somebody who's living in the kingdom of God. Now, why would we talk about this? Well, we talk about this because what passes for Christianity today what passes for, uh, as people who say that they are Christians, what, what passes for that today is, um, is sad. It is very sad. Recently, I saw an article uh, from you know, some Christian or so-called Christian website that was essentially saying that, I think his name is Howard Schultz, the CEO of, of Starbucks, had said, you know, if you uh, don't support uh, these liberal causes or whatever it is that, that we want, I think it had to do with abortion and, and, and things of that nature, then we would just rather you not buy our stuff, that you not buy our stock, that kind of stuff. And so this author, this person who wrote this article was saying, hey, let's stick it to them. Let's just, let's not go to Starbucks anymore and let's not buy their stock and let's really show this guy who's really in charge. And what this is, is... Uh, an absolute joke. It is, it, is, it is completely divorced from the idea of who Jesus is and what he did. And yet so many of us repost things like this on Facebook. So many of us live these lifestyles as though we're militant toward a culture that is against us. And yet Jesus is born into uh, a, a culture in a community that is absolutely hostile to him, both the secular uh, government and the religious government of that day, uh, the church, the synagogue, the Pharisees, those people, both of them were hostile towards Jesus. And yet Jesus lives in a completely different way. Jesus lives in a way that is completely alternate. It's an alternate view he is the definition of the kingdom of God. Jesus is showing us what it means to live under the rule and the reign of God. And yet so many of us don't get that. And we put side by side on the back of our minivan driving through downtown that's dirty and got dented bumpers and things like that, a Christian bumper sticker right alongside of the bumper sticker with the AR-15 assault rifle that says, come and get it. Gosh, and I like guns, I'll be honest, but I like Jesus more. Gosh, I like Jesus more. And when you don't understand why Jesus saved you, you're missing it. I'm missing it. When we don't see it, when we don't understand it, because disciples are people who are looking for, who are longing for, and who are living for the kingdom of God, and we're announcing the free grace of Jesus that allows us to be a part of his kingdom. Why? Because the way to human flourishing, the way that humanity flourishes is not through AR-15s. 
The way to human flourishing is not through uh, Starbucks or the, the lack of Starbucks. The way to human flourishing is through being under the rule and the reign of God. This is what it means to flourish as a human being. This is the message of hope that Christianity brings. We're not waiting for that hope. We do have a great hope. We have the hope right now. The hope can be realized right here and right now because, as we said this last week, the king is among us. He's with us. He's here a part of us. And until we get that and until we understand that, we will not live as these disciples who are looking for, who are longing for, and who are living for the kingdom of God to be realized right here and right now in our cities, in our life, in our place of business, in our families, in our sex life, in our use of our rights, in what coffee we drink, in the, in, in the way that we spend time with our friends, neighbors, co-workers, um, and things of that nature. Because it completely changes the way that we live. And so the invitation to be a, a Christian is the invitation to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's, it's an invitation be, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Recently at our elder retreat, we were sitting talking, and we were talking about this age-old question, okay, how do we make disciples better? And one of the things that we said, we just kind of had, had this moment, which really wasn't a, a new thing for us, but it was just like, man, I feel like we're off track. And so we said, listen, the, whole, the entire purpose of everything that we're doing is to create disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to ascend to heaven. And he says, go into all the world, uh, preach, uh, preach the gospel, uh, baptizing uh, these, and uh, make disciples, um, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've, I've commanded you. See, Jesus' definition of what it means to be a disciple is essentially that he is saying, like, I want you to take on my life. It's, it's not just that I want you to know that you can be saved. It's that I want you to take on my life. I want you to take on who I am. I want you to, to resonate uh, what, what my life uh, is and was. And by the way, I've given you the ability to do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, what we talked about last week was the failure of Israel. God, first of all, God calls Adam as his first creation, the first man, to live under his rule and his reign and to rule in his stead. Uh, Adam fails. God calls his people, Israel, and gives them, gives them his law. And he says, I want you to obey. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to represent me correctly in this world. I want you to show this world that is living in darkness because of Adam's sin, that's living under this in incredibly horrible darkness. And I want you uh, to be a kingdom of priests. And what do they do? They sacrifice their kids to false gods. They don't take care of the widows, the orphans, the sojourners, that's the aliens, uh, and, and, and anybody else. They don't execute justice for the poor. This is, this is who they are. Let me just tell you, in, in many ways, it sounds like uh, in some ways, it sounds like a litany of, of uh, wrongs that in many cases, sometimes um, the Republicans in our day commit. No care. No care. Like, it's just, it's just justice. It's just justice. We, we, but are, we, are we reflecting who our God is? Are we reflecting who he is through our lives? And the uh, Democrats have their own set of issues as life is devalued. We're not uh, upholding the orphan, the fatherless child. We're saying, you know, it'd be better if that kid was dead. Man, our world is so messed up. Do you know what we need? We need the kingdom of God to be realized right here and right now. But the biggest question is, is like, why, uh, how do we do that? And then why, why don't we? Why, do, why don't we get this as, as Christians? Because I can tell you this, 
that people read the story of Jesus who don't know about Jesus. They read the story and then they look at Christianity today and they say, not the magazine, but actual Christians today. And they say, like, like what? Oh, and maybe Christianity today as well, but whatever. We're all implicated, all right? Uh, so they look at Christianity and they go, man, I see this guy, Jesus, and then I see these people and I say, these two things are not equal. They do not come together. We say, yeah, well, we're all sinful. We're all saved by grace, whatever. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The whole failure of Israel was that they could not uphold what God had told them to do on their own. That whole story, I believe, is in many ways there, the story of Israel in the Old Testament, if you don't know about this, it's the, the history of God's people. The whole story is there to show us that even with all of the laws, even with knowing everything, all of the teaching, you can't follow what God wants you to follow. And so what happens is that he says, I'm going to send someone to you. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is the one who ultimately ends up fulfilling through the power of the Holy Spirit what it looks like to be somebody who's under the rule and the reign of God. And so people look at, look at the Bible, and they, and they, or they look at Jesus, and they say, I don't see what's going on there. I don't see that taking place. And so what do we do? We discount it. We say, well, that's Jesus, and he's the Son of God. He is God, and he has the Spirit of God perfectly in his life. And so that, therefore, I can't be expected to live like that. And so I'm just going to do my own thing in my own way, and ultimately what we're saying is, we're saying, I'm going to live by my rules in my place, in, in my work, in my home, and I will be the king over my castle, and I will be the one who rules and reigns. And we don't do it audibly, but we say it with our actions. We say it with our actions. Over and over again, we repeatedly are people who are not submitting to this and yet, one of the things that got me when I began to start uh, pastoral ministry was the book of Ephesians. And I'm just going to apologize to Jared, who's running PowerPoint today, because I did not tell him I was going to go here. So at all, it's not even on there, I don't think. But Ephesians 2.8 uh, says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so Christians grab onto this, and they say, evangelical Christians grab onto this, and they say, you cannot work your way into God's good graces. It is not a result of works. You cannot boast about it. You cannot do anything. It is only through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is true. And this is true. But here's the problem with putting verses on coffee cups and t-shirts and only reading a verse and saying, that's my life verse instead of that's my life chapter. That's my, that, this book is my life. Is the problem with the next verse, which says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what was Israel being judged for? Why were they sent into exile? Because they lacked the good works that would commend them to their culture, to the surrounding nations that would say, this is our God, and he is amazing. They lacked it. They lacked the works. And Paul is saying this. That's why Jesus came. That's why he is here. That's why he sent the Spirit, because of this so that you then could act in a way that is in line with everything that he wanted Israel to do, knowing this, that even when you screw up, you've been saved by grace through faith, but you have works to do, because here's the thing. A disciple is somebody who looks for, who longs for, and who lives for the kingdom of God. And what that means is this. The gospel doesn't just have private implications. It's not just you and Jesus in your quiet time in the morning. And I hope it is that. It's not just that. The gospel does have private implications, but it's not just private implications. The gospel has public applications as well. A guy named John Tyson said that. 
the gospel has public application. Another way to say this is this, that the gospel of the kingdom of God is both heard in proclamation, but it's also experienced through demonstration. It's what our culture means when it says, you don't practice what you preach. I hear all this talk and there is no action. You, you are a hypocrite. You know what they're pointing out? What's true about us, oftentimes, is that we say one thing, we say that we're a disciple, and yet we're not people who are looking for, longing for, and living for the kingdom of God to be realized in our town and in our place of business. We're just people who are saying, I'm a Christian in name only. And how many of us are in this place? How many of us are, are in, this, in, this, in this place where our Christianity actually means nothing? Because I, I grew up in a family. I grew up with a group of people, and my group of friends is there. And uh, my family goes there, and I feel good when I spend time there or this is all that I know. I have this superficial knowledge about something, and yet it has no discernible difference in my life. What, what your life could be reduced to is simply that you're a, you're, you're a fairly decent human being. We think that the kingdom of God, or we think that being a Christian means that my moral life, my internal life, is in line, and yet never realize that God is judging Israel not just for a faulty internal life. Because really, when we think that our internal life is right, uh, oftentimes that comes from pride. That comes from pride. But in addition to that, God judged them because they refused to uphold the most vulnerable in their society. They, they refused to serve them. They refused to be those people. And so Christians today oftentimes are just lost people. We're just as lost. And one of the, the things that is so bad about this is that we think that we know the truth, and yet we don't. You know the worst place you could be? is to be lost and to not know that you're lost. Uh, to be lost and have pride that says, I'm found. That's, that's the worst place that you could be. To have, to have a superficial knowledge about the scriptures and yet never really understand what they mean. To never really understand what's, what's happening here. And so how do we become people who are looking for, who are longing for, and who are living for the kingdom of God. We have to look at Jesus' life. Because without the life of Jesus Christ, what happens, and, and what I mean by without the life of Jesus Christ, without studying who Jesus is, and reading him afresh, without, without looking at him and, and going, okay, what is he actually doing? And when, when he says in Matthew 28, uh, through what we call the Great Commission, when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, and on earth has been given to me, go ye therefore, and, and, and obey, make disciples, baptizing them. When he says that, he actually means that the definition of a disciple is this, somebody who obeys the life of Jesus and does not discount it and say, so glad I'm saved by grace because I don't got to love my neighbor. So glad that Jesus went to the cross so that I can live any way that I want. This is epidemic in our society. It's epidemic. And so what we see in the life of Jesus Christ is essentially this. Look at uh, Isaiah 11, chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. You don't need to turn there. This will be brief. It says this, There shall come forth a shoot 
from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is the name of King David's father. This is the Davidic covenant being expressed. This is the Messiah coming. And it says, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now what's What's happening here is that what's going to come out of this stump, what's going to come out of this is that this person, this Messiah, the king, is coming. And what's going to happen is is that he is going to have the Spirit of the Lord on him. And so the Spirit of the Lord is going to be resting on the Messiah, that is Jesus, And he is going to come and he's going to have this wisdom and this knowledge and this understanding and it's going to come about through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to take over where Israel completely failed. And so you look at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. It's in verse 16. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now why is this important? It's because Jesus goes into the water in a similar way that Israel went through the water of the Red Sea and God saves them. Jesus goes into the water and he comes up. Uh, he comes up and what happens is this, is that God speaks. God the Father speaks about the Son of God, God in the flesh, and the Spirit of God descends on Him. And what is this saying? It's fulfilling a prophecy which says this, the Spirit of God is going to rest on Him. And what's going to take place is that this is going to say that this is my Son, this is the One, this is the King. There's some evidence that during that time in Roman government, that the Caesars were picked through something called augury, which is a practice of letting a, a bird fly around, and there's some contestants there, and the bird is going to land on the one who will be the king. I hate this idea because it sounds like God is using birds to choose his, his son and his king. However, what you might get from this is that it may have been significant to that culture to say, That stuff is garbage. That Caesar is garbage. This life is meaningless without this guy. He is the one true king, and he is taking over for Israel. God has spoken about his people, Israel, as his son. As it says in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. God calls his people his son. Here is Jesus. He's taking over for Israel. He's fulfilling everything that Israel was supposed to do. What should you get from that? The expectation on Israel is the expectation on us. Not in exactly the same way. But we are to be a kingdom of priests to represent this God well. But Jesus is the one who fulfills that as the son of God. He takes over as the Son. We move on. It says this in chapter 4 then of Matthew. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. So we see in the life of Jesus Christ, he's led by the Spirit of God, and he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now think about this. Israel goes through the Red Sea out of Egypt. God saves them through that, and then where do they go? They go into the desert. And they're in the desert. And then after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Israel was hungry. They were like, we need food. We're we're very hungry. We're wandering around. Where's our food? God provides food for them. Jesus, on the other hand, is hungry. So he's hungry. He's tempted. And it says, and the tempter came and said to him, Satan comes and says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is Jesus saying? He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which says this, And he humbled you and let you hunger. Who is this speaking to? Israel. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's Jesus going through? Jesus is going through the very same, te- the very same temptation that Israel went through. And what's happening? Jesus is saying, I'm hungry, and yet I am not going to give into the tempter and what he has in my life to go after food, to go after nourishment in that respect, because I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus takes over for Israel. Verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What's he quoting there? Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, which says virtually the same thing to Israel. What's God doing? He's saying, all of Israel's failure, I am fulfilling. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. I'm going to give you everything. We've talked about this already. I'm going to give you all these kingdoms. Jesus doesn't even deny that Satan owns those kingdoms. Satan is, is called the ruler of the power of the, uh, of the air. He's the God of this world. He's the one who's controlling. He's the one who is uh, maneuvering in all of the darkness, in all of the sin that we have in our world. And he's saying, all of these I'll give you. I'll give, I'll give you all of this stuff. Do you understand what's happening here? I'll give you the approval that you desire the most. I'll I'll let you feel like you're so successful if you will just let go of your family, discard them. I I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's the promise that Satan has for us. It's the extenuation of the darkness that comes from the garden is extended to us through Israel who continued in that darkness. But Jesus is the one who foregoes the darkness, foregoes the temptation in the midst of hunger and says, be gone, Satan. Be gone. For it is written. I mean, just if you just heard one thing, for it is written. The Word of God. Jesus, Jesus Himself comes back to the Word of God because it is the bread. It is the nourishment that feeds us because it shows us who Jesus is. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. And that is again from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus is fulfilling what Israel was supposed to do. And so you look at the, the next verse, or the, the, in, in chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 12 of Matthew. So he says, now when he heard that John, that's John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, which says this, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have uh, seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So Jesus comes in, he's he's baptized, he has the Spirit of God on him, he's fulfilling the story of Israel. You don't see that, you don't understand that, you don't even understand, all you can take from Jesus, uh, from 
his temptation in the desert is, oh, you know, I really need to not give in to temptation. No, the story is that Jesus is fulfilling the story of Israel. Jesus is doing all that Israel was supposed to be doing. And yes, there's a moral to that story as well. But the moral is this, is that Jesus is the one who fulfills this in the power of the Spirit of God. And what takes place? He does not give in to temptation in the power of the Spirit of God. And what happens? He comes in where he lives. He is a light. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. The life of Jesus Christ brings light into his city, into his place. And they see this guy and they're like, man, like this is incredible. He's a great light. They've been living in death. Human flourishing comes from living under the rule and the reign in the Spirit of God. We show people what it looks like to flourish as a human when we're looking for, longing for, and living for the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. A light comes into their city. A light comes into our city because Jesus is living in and through us through His Spirit. The King is among us. He's a part of us. He's with us. And we get to show what human flourishing is all about. Verse 17 says, From that time, Jesus began began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, in uh, Luke chapter 4, which is just after the uh, temptation in the desert, Luke says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So what happens when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you? When God's Spirit really enters into your life, when you are really about the kingdom of God, when you're looking for, longing for, and living for God to be proclaimed through your life and His kingdom to be realized right here and right now, what takes place? Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? Yes, it's, it's the gospel it's that Jesus came into our life and he saved us. But what we're showing you is, is God's care for you. The gospel is, is shown through God's care for you. The good news to the poor is this, is that we want to bind up your wounds. We want to love you because of the way that Jesus loved us on the cross. We're going to respond to that. See, the gospel doesn't just have a personal or a private implication, but it has a public application as well. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because of this. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing it's either the most arrogant statement that's ever been made or it's true and if it's true this is what it means when the spirit of god comes on us through the power of jesus what takes place is life changes life change and people are affected people are are healed there's good news that's being proclaimed to the to the poor there's there's a life that's changed there's a demonstration of what god has done for us in our lives these are uh we are his workmanship created in christ jesus to do good works the good works don't save us they show everyone else that we are saved What are we saved from? A lack of human flourishing. We're saved from the darkness in this world. The the 
the, the ethics of this world that says do anything, sleep with anybody, any way that you want, any time that you want. How dare you tell me otherwise? I should be able to kill my baby. I should be able to pack a gun. I should be able to do whatever I want. I should be able to treat anybody the way that I want. And Jesus says, no, no. The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God has real implications on the life, applications on the life. There is real demonstration. Look at Matthew 4, 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What, what came with the gospel of the kingdom is healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. When the good news of the kingdom of God comes into a city, people dwelling in, in darkness have seen a great light. But what happens is this, is that people's lives are affected in real ways. There is a proclamation that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is now. But what's happening is this. It is affecting people's lives in a real way. And you can't do that, and I can't do that, if we're Christian and name only. We can't be people who are about the kingdom of God if all we are is Sunday Christians. We cannot be people who say one thing out of, the, uh, out of one side of, the, uh, of our mouth and then do something different out of the other. We cannot. Jesus, the, the culture that he's bringing into this society is one of healing and restoration. It's not just apologetics or defending our faith. Apologetics is important. We should be able to defend our faith. But that should not come I believe there's times to protect your family. But that it should not come through an AR-15. It should not come because Howard Schultz is acting in alignment with the ruler of this age. It, it, <laughs> he's just acting in a way that's consistent with our world. And we are called to be a light to our city. And you cannot read the story of Jesus and not see the implications of all of the healing that he did. You cannot read the story of Jesus and, and not see how he was a blessing to everyone that came in, into contact with him. He was a blessing to them if they had faith and they wanted, they, they recognized him as king. And so what, what is our responsibility then? Our responsibility is to take on the divine nature. To take on who Jesus is and not just say, Jesus went to the cross for me. He did do that. And so therefore, you should not live in shame or guilt. You should not be living in those things, either because of the things that you have done or the things that you don't do or the things that you don't want to do. Because Jesus went to the cross to sit there in shame and self-doubt and, and to say, I don't want to feel guilty. It is to deny that Jesus went to the cross. It's to deny the whole premise of this entire thing, that Jesus 
had to go to the cross to take care of all of our sin. So what does this look like? I mentioned this, this passage periodically because I think it illuminates so well what we are called to. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Sorry again, Jared. It said, Peter says this to a church. He says, His, no, let, let me back up, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What that is saying is the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ is a grace to us. So being a Christian in name only is not helpful. And he goes on to say, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. I mean, if you could just soak this in. God, through Jesus, has given us the ability. He has given us divine power for all things in life so that we can be godly people in our knowledge of Him and I've got to abbreviate here. And so he says, for this very reason in verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's, what's happening is this, is that like if you don't, if you're not acting in this way, what it means is this, is that the life of Jesus Christ means nothing to you. And he goes on to say, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he has been that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, what's that saying? The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the exclamation point on the life of Jesus Christ. It says this, not only am I going to sacrifice my life for these people and for you, not only am I going to give up every comfort that I've ever had, not only am I going to go through pain and suffering, but I'm going to go to the cross so that you can be cleansed from your former sins. What's this mean? It means to be a Christian in name only. To be somebody who doesn't say, I'm looking for, I'm longing for, and I'm living for, the kingdom of God. The, it, it's for the person who wants to say, I guess I want to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I want to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to demonstrate what it looks like to live under his rule and his reign for me to be able to say, Jesus is my king. Jesus is the one that I live for because he went to the cross and he accomplished everything that I have failed at so that I could be somebody who is God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works so that I can look for where's God moving in my life? What's God doing right here right now? Where's the orphan of our day? They're in, they're in our, our foster home. They're in our foster home. We have foster families in our, in our uh, community here. And do you know what they go through? Do you know what they go through? I mean, it's hard. Sometimes they they go through such incredible things in order to love such incredible kids. 
Why are they incredible kids? Because they've been created in the image of God and as a kingdom of priests who have been saved by Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to proclaim to them that God's rule and his reign says this, even though you, you, you may have had a difficult time at home, you matter to me and you matter to God. Under his rule and his reign, you are protected and you are loved. That's what God's rule and his reign looks like. That's his kingdom. So you know what foster families are doing? Kingdom work. They're looking for the kingdom of God. They're seeing the ability to, to, to make a difference. And they're saying, God's rule and God's reign in this place and in this time would say, this kid needs a loving home. And I'm willing to love that kid so much. And then maybe someday they'd be taken out of my home and my heart be broken because they've been with me for so long and I don't know what they're going back to. Ah, oh, that's heartbreaking. That has happened to some families in this, in this place. Their hearts are broken. Why? Because Jesus was broken on a cross for you. Jesus was broken for them. And so they say, I'll be broken for these. So what's, what's, what's our church going to do about that? Well, not, not every one of us should be foster families. I, some of us should be. God may have called you. But you know what you can do? You can support a foster home. Because what happens in, in a foster family is this, is that life gets crazy. And there's not many people, as I understand it, that can watch those children because they haven't been approved to watch those kids. Is that right? Yeah. And so what, need, what needs to happen is that you need to be approved. You need to go through some type of test to take on respite care so that this mom and dad can go have a date or can just, just get a, catch, catch their breath for a minute because their ministry may not be like in passing out bulletins or greeting people for an hour, but their ministry is 24 hours a day and seven days a week. That's what the kingdom of God is. And so you get to step in and you can say, I'm about that. I'm about that. Because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And you could go down the list and just say, who are, who are the, uh, the widows in our day? Well, there are widows, but there's a lot of single moms. And who are the sojourners? Well, they're the aliens, and they're illegal aliens. And so somehow we're going to support them in some way. Why? Because you are an alien in God's kingdom. You do not belong in God's kingdom. Unless you're a, a Jew here today, I don't know what your nationality is, but you're an alien. And the whole point is this, is that in chapter 2, just uh, after this, uh, what I just read in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 8 through 10, is that you're a citizen. You're part of God's household. You've been adopted. You are an alien. How dare you turn around and say, forget all the aliens, because God accepts you an alien and says, you are now my son. You are now my daughter. That's the kingdom for you. That's the kingdom. That's real Christianity. That's what it means to believe the gospel down to the core of your soul. Is to look for, to long for, and to live for the kingdom of God in my life in this place. How are we going to do it? Let's ask God what that looks like. Let's pray. Lord, I 
The only thing I can say is that I'm, I'm preaching beyond my own ability. Lord, if, if I'm having a private conversation with you right now, which I realize I'm not, but, but let's just say that I am, um, God, you know that my heart needs changing in all of these things. Lord, your kingdom is not filled with factions of Democrats and Republicans. Your kingdom is filled with people who submit to the rule and the reign of one ruler. And whether they like it or not, they say yes and amen to all of your all of your commands and they glory in you having gone to the cross. God, I need that more than more than anybody in this room. Oh, there's so many of us in this room. We we are the foot of the cross is is all level. There's none of us that stands above the other. There's nobody in this room that can stand without your grace and your mercy. There's nobody in this room that has done it perfectly. Everybody in this room needs the one perfect king to save them. And so, Lord, for those of us that have been saved by grace through faith, Lord, may we resonate with your kingship by doing your good works. Lord, may we resonate with who you are and what you're doing. Lord God, make us a church that's about your kingdom. Lord, show us our sin. Show us where we need to repent. Allow us to get our lives right, to straighten out things through the power of your spirit, not on our own, but Lord, to say, to say we want to be about your kingdom. Lord, show us how to do that. Lord, I'll bet you it has to do with getting rid of debt. So that we have something to share. And it, and it probably has to do with loving our families better, not spending so much time at work, so that we can be a light in our neighborhood. Lord, it has to deal with has to do with dealing with sin and repenting to you. Lord, and it has to do with so many things. Lord, may we be a repentant people, not to take on shame and guilt but to look at you on the cross and see you're the one that took the shame and the guilt. So we ask you for, for this. This morning, Lord, would you change us into your kingdom people. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.